Hi friends, welcome back to the Creating Eden podcast. I am your host, Eden. And on today's episode, I am joined by a really beautiful, really powerful woman, Nicole Passphere. Nicole is an ex-nurse turned business coach, matrescence guide, and podcast host for conscious and holistic mother entrepreneurs. Firstly, just wow. (laughs) Nicole is building an impactful business that fits inside her dream life instead of hustling hard just to try to create that life. And mothering her spirited two-year-old daughter still remains her number one priority. Traveling this countercultural path didn't come easy for Nicole. Her journey to get here included a lot of unlearning, recovering from her people-pleasing tendencies, healing from good, good girl conditioning, learning to soothe her own nervous system, and finally deepening her sense of self-worth. Now she's on a mission to shift the narrative for mother entrepreneurs by helping them unravel and make sense of their identity and develop feminine embodied online businesses, all without losing themselves in patriarchal motherhood, becoming victim to hustle culture, or sacrificing time with their kids. Mmm. Wow, Nicole is doing some really, really incredible work, and it's been such a joy and such an honor to to witness her from afar and to begin to, yeah, uh, connect with her on a more one-to-one intimate level as I was on her podcast and now she is on mine. Um, so yeah, I'm so excited to share this episode with you. Um, our, our original intention with this was to talk about the art of receiving in in pregnancy, in postpartum, in motherhood. And of course, it ended up being so much more than just that. I mean, that in and of itself is <clears throat> really big and really powerful, um, but it ended up being so much more. And yeah, as we were speaking, we, we came to the very clear realization that this is something that can be applied to all areas of life. So yeah, if you are not in a season of pregnancy, of postpartum, of motherhood, there is still so, so much wisdom in this episode for you. Um, So yeah, I'm so excited to share it with you. I'm so excited to listen to it again myself. Um, And I'm just so grateful to Nicole for yeah, for saying yes, for being on the show. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Awesome. Hello. Hello, Nicole. Thank you for joining me on my podcast this time. Um, I have already been a guest on Nicole's podcast, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, some juicy rebranding happening over on your end. Um, but yeah, welcome. Thank you for saying yes to being here and um, yeah, showing up. Mm, thank you so much, Eden. It is honestly an honor to be here. And it's it's cool how we've come full circle. Now the roles are reversed. And I was just saying before we hit record that it's a little nerve wracking coming on as a guest compared to being the host. So yeah, it, it's, it's, feeling, it's feeling a little bit edgy for me to be on this side of the screen, but I'm really excited to just share my story and knowing that I always learn so much too, hearing my own 
self-speak. So I'm a self-projected projector in the human design world. And I don't know much about that yet, but like learning more and more that, yeah, when I speak, I can get so much clarity. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I love that you shared that because I resonate. <clears throat> I resonate so deeply with that. There's almost this, it's like a form of, form of processing to hear what's coming through and allowing the flow of words to to hit you in a different way than just sitting with it and feeling it. And yeah, yeah, I resonate yeah, with that. Exactly that. That's part of why I love this podcast because that's like my solo episodes are yeah. me just processing out loud. And they end up being so therapeutic. I tro- like I, I've joked all the time that like the podcast is more so for me than my listeners. And it's truly <laughs> like my playground for just like practicing self-expression and like personal discovery and yeah it's amazing it's cheaper than therapy so highly recommend to anyone (laughs) thinking about podcasting yeah start a (laughs) podcast and talk to yourself it's great it does wonders yeah um so yeah today we wanted to dive into the topic of receiving being open to receive support um in pregnancy in motherhood and yeah I shared an Instagram story a few weeks ago now um of my like postpartum basket that I'm slowly putting together for myself and my friends and different members of my online community and in-person community have been contributing to that basket and it's felt yeah, really uncomfortable to receive and to, to even like, like have, I I made a registry um, and to even put that out into the world and like share it with my friends. I'm like, oh my God, this feels so uncomfortable. I hate this. Like, so it's definitely, yeah, stretching me and expanding me in that way. Um, but yeah, you responded because I, I, I asked if anyone would want to, um, yeah, join me on the podcast and talk about this. And you responded, yes, like <clears throat> pretty much yeah. immediately. Which yeah, was it was a, it was a big hell yes for me. Cause this is a big, big part of my story and, um, really hit, hit me smack in the face in early postpartum. And I, I, I mean, no regrets, but I suppose if I were to do things differently, I definitely would have been just more aware and attuned to um, my lack of receiving in pregnancy. And I think, I think pregnancy could have been a lot different for me, but I guess I'll just get into it. So, um, Ooh, where do I start? I feel like, I feel like for some context, I feel like people should know that I have always been a overachieving do the next thing on society's to-do list. So I I got good grades in school. I went straight to university after high school. I completed my nursing degree. I got an amazing nursing job right after graduation. Um, I dated my high school sweetheart for like almost nine years, 10, I don't even know, a lot of years. And then we got married and we had the dogs and we bought a house. Um, and so like long story short from all of that, the next thing on the list was to have a kid. (laughs) And so, um, pregnancy and becoming a mom was, um, very much on my radar. I also knew that I, I didn't want to have the pregnancy and birth that I was seeing all of my friends and my inner circle have. Um, I think also coming from my nursing 
nursing career and kind of having that medical background, I knew I knew what happens when you are in the hospital system. And I, um, like you, like I'm living in Canada and I, I like to think that things aren't quite as wonky or um, dysfunctional as they are in the States, but I've, I've come to learn that they are. Um, it's still pretty messed up here. And with that, I was like, I do not, I do not want to be a part of that. So um, we did end up getting pregnant and yeah, very early on, I knew I wanted to have a midwife. I knew I didn't want to be put through um, the typical like OB route, the system, however that works. Um, and I remember even right then and there, I remember at my first doctor's appointment with my family doctor, I was so scared to tell her that I wanted a midwife. I thought I was almost betraying her by telling her, I don't want to do things your way. I'm going to go hire a midwife. Um, thankfully she was super on board. She's, um, she's from like Scotland or something. I don't know how they do things over there, but she was super on board. So that was really helpful. Um, I felt like I, I got her blessing, even though I didn't need it, but I, I did want it um and then yeah I put myself on I don't know how it works for you guys in BC and I know you aren't going through like the traditional regulated midwife system but for us it's like winning the lottery to get a midwife you literally have to apply for a midwife before you even pee on a stick before you even like tell your husband which is crazy so I literally applied like I wasn't even four weeks pregnant yet um And I, yeah, and it's crazy. And I didn't hear back. I'm like, oh no, like, what if, like, I, I was like, what is going to happen if I don't get a midwife? I didn't think that far ahead, but things were already feeling stressful and I was barely even pregnant. Um, I ended up, I think, emailing a couple of like the midwifery clinics, just asking like where I was on the list. And thankfully they got back to me and I, I was indeed like accepted into their care. And so um, just to kind of speed up the story, I, I was with a midwife. It was during COVID. So the first couple appointments were just over the phone. And I vividly remember in one of the first phone calls, they asked me, oh, are you planning to give birth um, at the hospital or home or birth center? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm, I'm planning hospital unless someone can convince me to stay home. And so looking back, I was desperately seeking someone to just help me come over that edge and help me just get that confidence and validation, I guess. Um, But I mean, they provide unbiased care. And so they're like, okay, hospital it is. And so they, they, they continued to help me plan for a hospital birth. Um, And then I guess like a couple months continued to go on and I got more and more pregnant and I was doing all the the pregnancy things. I was reading the books. I was listening to the podcast and it became very clear that I wasn't going to get the birth I wanted if I went to a hospital. Um, I, in, in that time frame, I also hired a doula. I thought that, okay, like my husband doesn't like, neither of us know what we're doing. Um, but neither of us have like birth experience either. We don't have like younger siblings. We don't have any, anyone in our families that have had natural births. Um, so yeah, in, in my mind, I'm like my, my poor husband, he doesn't know what's going on. This is going to like scare the shit out of him to see me literally like moving like a cow and birthing a baby potentially in our living room. So I thought I need to get a doula on board, mostly just for like that education and emotional support for my husband. I was like, I need a doula for my husband. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So I I hired the doula. um, And then that was really when I think I started to take things seriously. I started to really like, yeah, have to make those hard decisions about committing to a home birth. 
Um, and again, long story short, I did end up committing to a home birth around who I want to say like 30, 32 weeks. So honestly, most of my pregnancy, I was still planning a hospital birth. Like if friends would ask me like, oh, what hospital are you giving birth in? I would have an answer. And um, what's funny is looking back, I know deep down that I I always knew I was going to stay home. I was just so scared to tell people. Um, I didn't want to be talked out of it. And I didn't want to be drowned by their horror stories or their own fears. Um, so yeah, that was what I needed to do to protect my own energy. In terms of um, the receivership question and the direction that this story needs to go in, I honestly had no idea that I was blocking myself to receiving in pregnancy. Um, so I I continued my pregnancy. I really, ooh, how do I word this? I that overachieving and perfectionist tendencies that I have lived my entire life were super strong in pregnancy. I wanted to do all the right things. I wanted to be the perfect pregnant patient for my midwives. I wanted to be the perfect client for my doula. I wanted to continue have, to have like strong work ethic in my job as a nurse. Um, it was all those things. And so I was putting a ton of pressure on myself to continue to be all these things for all these different people, all these, all these different people. Um, and I remember just feeling super pulled, I guess, almost like back to center. Like Nicole, you need to, like, you are the center of this. Like you need to be nourishing yourself in order to allow this baby that's growing inside of you to thrive. And you really need to start yeah, just having the attention be on you in order for all of this to actually work out well. And so again, this really wasn't until like my third trimester that I started switching gears and showing my my own body and my own self more compassion and self-love. I ended up going off work early. That was a really hard decision for me. My almost entire pregnancy. I had really bad SI joint pain. So to the point of at the end of a shift, like I literally couldn't walk. I would be crawling around my house um, in the evenings because I was on my feet all day as a nurse. And my midwives kept saying like, we can just like write you a note so you can go off work early. And I'm like, well, no, I can't do that. Like there's not anything wrong with me. Like I can keep working. And so again, that perfectionist overachieving tendency was strong. As you're crawling literally yeah but I didn't want to be seen as weak right I and and there was other pregnant people around me I had some friends that were pregnant I had some co-workers that were pregnant and I was totally comparing my pregnancy to theirs I was like why can they do all these things but I literally yeah I'm crawling around on the floor every evening and then I have a friend that's like going on a hike in her third trimester it was it was really hard for me to grasp that everyone's pregnancy is different and that my body was honestly looking back just calling me home like it was desperately just seeking my attention to give it some some TLC Mm -hmm. so yeah it was around um oh what was it it would have been I think I went off work right around 30 weeks um which yeah felt really early it felt really early like I didn't know anyone else that was going on sick leave or mat leave whatever you want to call it early everyone I knew literally stayed working until their water broke or until like their due date. And I was like, there's no way I can do this. Like I do need to go off work now. Um, Also, like I said, it was the middle of COVID. So 
the policies at work were absolutely disgusting um, to the point where like we were we were wearing masks our entire shift. I wasn't even allowed to have my water bottle beside me. I wasn't allowed to like eat. So like, again, as a pregnant person, this was not supportive at all. So I think all those factors really allowed me to give in and be like, okay, yeah, I do need to do this for my body and for my baby. So once I did that, and once I finally stepped away from work and stepped away from that hustle of just being productive and being go, go, go and being sharing my energy, like externally, like outside of my house all day, every day, once I actually allowed myself to come home and cocoon and hibernate in my house is also one of the hottest summers I remember we don't have air conditioning so I spent a lot of time butt naked in the basement <laughs> so don't I, I feel like when I said cocoon and hibernate people are probably imagining this like really cozy space and she's in this this dark like cozy bedroom with blankets no <laughs> no I was like butt naked sweating my butt off but um yeah once I finally went off work once I committed to the home birth once I really just actually committed to myself um, was when things started to shift for me. I My body completely softened. Um, my mind quieted. I was really just focusing. It wasn't so much about learning anymore. It was really just reconnecting to myself. So my my former pregnancy prep, which was podcasts and books, was now just like meditation and um breathing and like other self-care stuff like baths and sleeping lots and lots of naps um yeah so things totally did shift for me and um yeah I guess it would have because I ended up having my daughter at 38 weeks so it was really only not even two two months of this new routine for me um and once, I guess I'll just completely fast forward because I, so I ended up having the home birth. I ended up having a beautiful home water birth in my living room. Um, and even with that, it's interesting to look back on because I always say it was, it was perfect on paper. Um, but when I really allow myself to look at it, there were still moments where I can see so clearly now that I was giving my power away. I... I was still deeply trusting the system, my midwives and my doula for guidance and coaching. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think, especially as a first time mom, first time pregnancy, it's okay that I did that. But I, I can also see so clearly right now that like I, I, I did give my power away in some aspects. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just think that's an important piece of the story because I feel like that in itself it, again, it just almost shows how I was still trying to please other people. I was still trying to perfect this. And I wanted my midwives to think, oh, that was such a beautiful birth I got to attend. I was trying to impress them. I was trying to make sure they had a good day at work. Like, wow. How fucked up is that? Right? How fucked up is that? Um, yeah. I Yeah. It's interesting just hearing myself say that out loud, but it's it's so true. Anyways, let me let me keep going. So um, beautiful home water birth on paper. <laughs> um, the initial days postpartum were also pretty good. Um, breastfeeding was going well. Sleep was going pretty good. We instantly decided to bed share and co-sleep. Haven't stopped to this day. <laughs> and yeah, things were things were going well. I felt like I was healing fairly well. I, I still had a lot of pain, um, but 
yeah, it wasn't like anything super serious. Um, and yeah, like things again, going well on paper. And again, I was trying to perfect this postpartum period. I was trying to do all the things that I knew I was supposed to do. And so, like I said, I had this doula, amazing doula. She's wonderful. She, um, I also hired her for some postpartum support. So this is, this is a big part of the story. I had 12 hours of postpartum support with my doula. I think, I think we had split it up into, was it four three-hour shifts? I think so, four three-hour shifts. So the first one she came, it was really just a lot of education and normalization around like breastfeeding and kind of helping me with positions and stuff. So that was super helpful. But then the second one, I think it would have been the second one, I was doing good. I was, well, again, good on paper. I was putting on a really tough um, front and I... She, I remember she came to my house. She offered to kind of assist and help and support me in all these ways, like cook dinner, do my laundry. And honestly, like I didn't want her to do any of those things. In the moment, I just wanted to sit and chat and have tea. And looking back, like I understand why I wanted that. Like I that that's what I needed in the moment. I really just needed space held for me and to kind of debrief my story and to just debrief the whole experience. But also looking back, I can see so clearly that, again, that perfectionist, that good girl in me didn't want her to see me unravel and be perceived as weak. I, I couldn't even let my hired support help me with things that I shouldn't have been doing. So there I was literally probably only like a week postpartum and I was insisting on like wiping my counters and I don't think I was vacuuming or doing laundry, but like I was insisting on making sure the house looked presentable before her and other family members came over. I was still wanting to host them and make them a cup of tea. And so, yeah, I think that was really the, the first moment that I realized. And in the moment, I didn't know this, right? In the moment, I didn't realize that this was me not being open to receiving. Um, but looking back, that was really one of the big alarm bells is, man, like, Nicole, you were freshly postpartum you were raw vulnerable you were literally healing your one job was to simply just be with your baby and you couldn't even do that you still had to try to perfect and overachieve and be something for someone else um and we can fast forward actually so the the end of that story with the doula is I honestly ended up saying I don't think I need you anymore I, I I ultimately donated those hours and, and offered for her to give them to a family in need. So I literally betrayed myself thinking that someone else needed it more than me. And maybe there's some truth to that. But at the same time, it, again, so clearly I can see that that was me not seeing my own needs as worthy. And it was me continuing to almost like keep myself small and, and thinking that like even if I was struggling even if things were uncomfortable and hard I wasn't allowing my hard to actually be hard I was comparing my hard to other people's hards much like I did in pregnancy too right I was constantly comparing um so yeah postpartum was really no different so yeah basically allowed my doula to go support another family because I didn't feel worthy of having her support um, and looking back, like the relationship with my closest family and friends was really no different. Um, and my mom and I have since had 
several conversations around that, just around how it's kind of a mixed, um, it's a mixed dynamic because not only did I know, I not know what I needed, someone like my mom and probably other family members, it, it, providing that like raw sacred support had never been modeled to them. So like, they also didn't know how to provide for me. So it was almost like the blind leading the blind. And I remember so many times people would say, well, just let me know what you need. Just, just send me a text if you need something. Like, I don't know what I need. I have no idea what I need. Um, so yeah, like that's, that's kind of like the first, the first big moment and where it really showed up in my postpartum. And I mean, I could, I could give more details, but that kind of paints the picture of how I really just went straight back into that overachieving, performing, needing to be a certain someone and follow, follow what I thought was like the perfect postpartum. I didn't want to see anyone. I didn't want anyone to see me messy or vulnerable or weak. Wow. Yeah, thank you, firstly, so much for sharing all of that and, uh, yeah, letting us in on your experience. Um, and I'm assuming that you were like this pre-pregnancy as well, like very comparing yourself to other people, watering your own experience down. Um, yeah, when you said like, oh, I it was crawling on the ground. <laughs> I also have done that. I also have done that, but crawling on the ground, like, and, and expecting yourself to still be on your feet working, nursing during COVID, like that is probably the most intense job that you could have been doing while pregnant at the time. Yeah. And, and it's easy for me to see those things now, but in the moment, in the moment, it, it felt like, I mean, honestly, I know this now, I was totally in survival mode, right? I was totally in survival mode and completely disconnected to my body. So yeah, whatever mind chatter was going on was strong and it was completely dictating all of my actions and my decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious, once you went on that like early mat leave, was that the first time that you had had that kind of space in your life yeah. to just be with yourself? And like, what was some of the like challenges or the edges that you met in that, in just being with yourself? Yeah. Um, first of all, I got chills when you just said that sentence about like, is that the first time that you were able to just be with yourself? The answer is yes. Yes, it was. Um, and that was confronting at first um obviously like I I met a lot of resistance there before I could actually soften into it um and the the mind chatter that was going on at that point was definitely around the whole narrative of if you're just laying in bed all day then you're lazy um you have to be more productive you need to be I don't even know, like contributing to society in some way like there. And, and then again, the comparison of there's people that are like actually sick or have a high risk pregnancy that go off work early. There's nothing wrong with you. You should be able to do more. Right. It was it was that kind of self-talk. Um, and I think that got louder when I when I was in spaces 
um, with other people. So when I was sharing my energy with other people, and it's not even that they verbally were even saying anything, it was me, I guess, like projecting my own insecurities and jumping to conclusions, writing stories in my head, they must be thinking this about me. So it was always about how am I being perceived? And so really the only moments that I was truly able to connect to myself and soften and really be in tune with just me and my baby was when I was alone. Um, And thankfully, I was alone a lot of the time. I really did start to nest and um, protect my energy. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to see anyone. Um, Even once my husband would be home, like I still spent a lot of time just in bed, um, listening to whatever it was, right? Like I I really was feeling a urge to protect my energy. And I'm glad, I'm glad I did follow, follow through on that because it obviously did serve me. It allowed me to, like I said, soften, quiet some of that mental chatter and finally, finally be in my body for the first time. And then fast forward to birth. Birth was absolutely like the most intense um, experience ever, like it is for most people. But I it it was also the first time that I was completely present in my body and I remember it was very early in the morning I hadn't called the doula or the midwife yet so I was alone my husband was asleep down the hall my dogs were asleep down the hall it was literally just me and I have vivid memories um of just I I truly was in my own power at that point um because I was alone again it wasn't that like shared energy um And there wasn't, yeah, it wasn't me trying to impress or show up a certain way for anyone because there was no one there to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm also curious if like, well, firstly, the, it sounds like you were in like a very masculine energy constantly like working. And I'm, I'm assuming you were working like full shifts like how long were your shifts my shifts were eight hours I wasn't working 12 they were just eight just eight hours (laughs) just eight um but like I said like can't have my water bottle at my desk can't just snack constantly and like you're pregnant you know what it's like you need to be eating and drinking almost constantly and so again looking back I can see so clearly how I was already betraying my body I was already ignoring its subtle or loud communication Um, And that wasn't necessarily just because of my own ignorance. Like I was aware of it, but it was this need to be this perfect employee and to follow policy and to not rock the boat. Um, Yeah. And I, 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 I'm proud to say I've, I've almost come full circle. So I'm excited (laughs) to kind of get into where some of the shifts started happening for me. Yeah. Yeah. The next question I was going to ask was, do you feel like Um, because as you mentioned your birth was the first time you were like fully fully in your body was that I'm assuming it was but was that like a big catalyst moment for you where it really changed your relationship with your body or did it take a while to kind of integrate that experience and and yeah create that relationship it's funny I nodded yes and then I shook my head no as you were saying that because it was like a mix of both so immediately after birth I remember I remember feeling really shook up and I think this is why I keep saying that it was a perfect home water birth on paper but I feel like people that have a perfect home water birth 
walk away feeling in like complete ecstasy and like just super empowered and like this like rock star goddess and yeah I felt some of that but I was also almost in like deep fear of my own body's power I remember I remember yeah like being in shock with holy shit I just did that if I can do that what else can I do so I was really shook up by my own power um and yeah like just knowing what I know now that that makes sense because I was very much still in this like maiden archetype this wounded maiden archetype still very much living a very masculine life um and yeah just very much focused on the external in term in instead of like the internal stuff going on and I mean, when I, when I see it like that, of course, that would be scary if you've never experienced that. And if you weren't even like expecting it, of course, that would be scary. So it, it there was fear, fear of my own capabilities. Mm, yeah. And that <clears throat> reminds me of this um, topic called the golden shadow. And it's like, I don't know if you've heard that concept mm-hmm. before. But it's pretty much like the the version of yourself that achieves everything that you actually want to achieve. The version of yourself that is like that highest version, um, the the big dreams and goals and like the perfect life vision that, you know, some of us may have like that's your golden shadow where it's like a lot of the time we self-sabotage to because because we're afraid of of that we're afraid of stepping into that kind of power we're afraid that we're not worthy of of being that person or receiving that life or whatever it is um yeah that's that's kind of what it reminds me of of like holy fuck that was that was amazing and incredible and also really intense and powerful and that was me like what who who am I really at at this point I've never had any experience even close to this and now yeah yeah who am I who am I after that well and with that who am I question it's almost like I'm an imposter like that couldn't have like yeah it's like yeah there's a bit of like that imposter syndrome but also back to the worthiness of like am I really worthy to have just experienced that did I work hard enough to get that? That's another narrative that I've really had to work through is thinking that I need to work hard for success um, and not feeling worthy that things can just be easy. Not that birth was easy, but like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, As you were sharing all that, I was just kind of reflecting on um, one of my favorite books for this topic, Made into Mother by Sarah Durham Wilson. I don't know if you've read it, but in there she speaks about she she brings in a lot of concepts around just how the patriarchy is influencing us as women and especially as we embark on that made into mother journey and move through that portal portal not even biologically but like archetypically speaking and um in there there's she talks about how from young girls we are all not all, but many of us are conditioned to be pretty perfect and pleasing. And she she coins this as princessization. And if you think back to like all of the classic Disney movies, um, Cinderella, Snow White, all of them, like they are all just like a maiden in distress waiting for their prince charming to save them. 
Um, and so we've been conditioned to think that we need to be saved and that like we we've also been conditioned to think that if we're powerful, like if we're that witch with power, that's something to be feared. And that's something that society um, frowns upon it and doesn't want. So it was kind of some of that popping up where like, it's not okay for me to be that powerful. That's not okay. That's not safe. Um, and then again, just referencing the book, she speaks a lot about how so many women living in this wounded maiden are basically wolves wearing like a sheep costume and we are trying so hard to contain our power contain our wildness and show up as these like peaceful soft sheep and so yeah I feel like that really parallels with my story I finally kind of took that sheep mask off and saw myself as a wolf but seeing yourself as a wolf for the first time is freaking scary so it's all of the things and yeah <laughs> it's a good book if you haven't read it yeah, I saw that you were reading that with um the uh like group cohort that you yeah. were reading. Yeah, so. I just led a, a group book study on it. So yeah, one of my favorite books. I hope to do that again soon because it was really good. <laughs> it's one of those books that like the power comes with the shared storytelling of of being in circle and kind of experiencing the just the wisdom in the book together. So yeah. Beautiful. Um, I want to talk about the the worthiness piece because I feel like that really ties into receiving. Um, yeah. And it also ties into the feminine. When we have been, yeah, brought up in a heavily masculine patriarchal society, um, the, the, there hasn't been any room for the feminine. The feminine is, is not even really seen. Um, and there's, um, yeah, in, in my own lived experiences of being transitioning from living a heavily masculine energy life into my feminine, that was the biggest piece for me was, was worth and, and feeling like I don't have to constantly be outputting and, you know, productive and doing things in order to be in order to be worthy like can I just be can I receive and that's that's anything can I receive rest can I allow myself give myself permission to receive rest like that was a huge hurdle for me and I'm kind of in that I'm kind of in that a little bit now in a different cycle um where I I'm finishing working at the end of this week and then I'm going to have nothing but space and I can already feel myself like still wanting to do and to and fill that space with production. Yeah. 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 Even just like not wanting to leave my house. I'm like, I should, I should get outside. I should enjoy the fall colors right now. Like I should do X, Y, Z. Um, so I think this topic of, yeah, receiving it, it's far more greater than, or far greater than just receiving support, um, from the people around us, but also allowing ourselves to receive anything that we need, yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to be in that, um, kind of relationship with ourselves, with our bodies, with our babies, like, what do I actually need? And can I allow myself to receive that? 
Well, and can you allow yourself to receive that without guilt or without feeling like you need to give it back? Mm. I think that's the big piece, right? Is we can be so quick to deflect it back, even compliments, right? Like you, you receive a compliment and like, you just want to give one back right away or someone brings, um, I can, like, I don't know if a friend buys you a coffee, then you feel like you need to buy a coffee next time. Like it, it's all over. It's not just postpartum and pregnancy and birth. It's all over. And I think for me, that's when I started seeing it in other aspects of my life, that's when I, I really realized that, okay, this is, this is actually a big part of my story and this isn't actually how I want my story to be written. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll just jump into that right now and give some context. So um, I ended up deciding not to go back to my nursing job. And that in itself was a huge, a huge, well, I mean, it was a huge identity shift, but just a huge, uh, another catalyst, I guess, for moving into another layer of personal exploration. And it was an opportunity for me to really practice being in that receivership role because now I was completely dependent on my husband and um, dependent on him providing for our family and I know like even saying that out loud like that doesn't sound weird like that's how families have lived for a long long time right the the dad goes to work and the mom stays at home and so I mean I think at this point I thought we were just playing house that's what it felt like Um, but then when I would sit with the discomfort of I need to be productive I need to have something like external and outside of me to show and to prove that like I am worthy of just being that's when it started to get really clear that wait a minute there's some stickiness here there's some yeah there's there's some mm, I don't even want to call like mindset shifts because for me it started to really land when I started doing some nervous system work and starting to understand just the how the nervous system works and the different states and understanding more about not just fight and flight and then rest and digest, but understanding that there's also um, fawning and fitting in. And I realized, man, I've literally been fawning my entire life, like people pleasing, perfectionism, overachieving. That's not a personality trait. That's a nervous system survival response. So when I started understanding that, that's truly when I started giving again myself the compassion that I probably should have been giving a long time ago um and realized that this isn't this isn't actually something that should be praised even though society has told me it is um I also really didn't want to fall into the common motherhood narrative of like hating motherhood and being stuck in this survival mode and becoming a martyr I was I I knew I was already unsubscribing to that so again it was like how do I make sure I don't fall into that camp how do I not become another statistic and um yeah the 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 aspect of deciding to stay home and not go back to my really secure really good paying benefit pension nursing job was pretty shaky um, but it it really did open up a can of worms for me to do some some deep soul work and actually like meet that resistance and meet that shadow and and sit with it. Mm-hmm. Did you have any outside voices like projecting their opinions onto you um, of not going back to that job? Because I feel like from a societal perspective, it's like 
yeah, you, you went to school, you got the degree or whatever, and you had the job, like, and you're just going to let that all go? I think, again, it was something that I was writing stories about. So I was almost projecting that onto myself before it had even happened. It was almost like I was bracing for that. I was expecting for people to say those things. And honestly, I don't think I really ever got those comments, um, which is nice. I also had decided that I wanted to pursue um, birth work and birth education. So I think because in the same comment of saying I'm not going back to work because I was sliding in a different passion that I wanted to follow, it was almost like, oh, okay, well, she's still contributing in some way, which again, looking at it from the outside is like, well, no, I didn't need to have that like excuse. I didn't need an excuse. I, I am and I was worthy of just staying at home because I wanted to stay at home with my daughter. Mm-hmm. I love that the the topic of also um, like your husband being the provider and you being stay at home mom um, comes up because that that was something that was really uh, present for me in my last relationship where um we had we had made an agreement because he was from England that if I moved in if I moved to England then he would be the provider and it was that was kind of our like trade and uh throughout throughout COVID that was when I was really like I need I need to be making money I need to I had created so many stories of like I am not worthy um what am I even giving to this relationship like I I have nothing tangible to show and uh my partner now he is just stepping into the provider role so when I left that last relationship I was in this energy of like I can provide for myself I don't need anybody like I'm not gonna you know I'm gonna do everything on my own and prove it to myself and I did and I'm glad that I you know, it's like the pendulum swings to one side, it needs to swing to the other side before it comes back to the center. Um, I'm glad that I showed myself like, okay, I can provide for myself because that, that helped me to rewrite all of the stories that I created in my previous relationship about I can't, I, I don't know how I can't take care of myself. And in this relationship, I had a lot of resistance when we decided and I think like, if I didn't get pregnant when I did this wouldn't have happened like I would have been so like I'm doing everything on my own like we split everything 50 50 and there's nothing wrong with that but for me it was it wasn't coming from that authentic place it was coming from I'm not worthy I need to I need to prove to myself that I can do this um so I had some layers to work through of him becoming the the provider um for me and for our family and and there's still like (laughs) yeah there's still a little bit of discomfort there um I feel like when and this is maybe just my, my my hope um I feel like when the baby is here and I'm actually in that motherhood role, I hope that I'll feel like, okay, this is, this is how I'm providing. Um, it doesn't have to be financial. Um, 
but I, I hope that that's, that's my experience and who knows, <laughs> I, I don't know. I can create stories and stuff now, but I don't know until I'm actually in it. Um, but yeah, even that like receiving, fully receiving um, the, the financial support and the financial safety and stability from somebody else like how I know I had so much resistance towards that. And I look back now, I'm like, damn, I should have enjoyed that. <laughs> I should have enjoyed that. Like having so much space, not going to work, not having to, yeah, be in that provider role. Like uh, that feels so good for my feminine soul. You know, that feels so, yeah, just like exactly what I need um but yeah I definitely resisted it and I have a friend who she is in like very very similar stage of her life as me her partner just started to be the full provider she's pregnant as well and she was struggling with that like fully receiving and what they did which I thought was so beautiful was um they they made this little card and it was, it's called their soul card. And whenever her husband gives his, like, gives her his credit card, she'll give him the soul card. Because he's like, like, you give me so much. It's not money, but it's like, you fill up my soul just by being you, just by being in relationship with you. And when she shared that with me, I was like, oh, I love that. I love that so much. Um, and And it is still this, like, you mentioned this earlier, um, this immediate transaction of like, oh, you gave me something and now I need to give you something. And like, yes, that's so, I love that like card because it does feel so good to be like, oh yeah, just reminded of what I'm actually giving to this relationship or to this household or whatever it is. Um, and also that like, can we receive and just receive? oh, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it is uncomfortable. And I think, I mean, the uncomfortableness of it lies from just like the buttloads of conditioning and what we've kind of been fed and led to believe around what success looks like. And I think for me, like that's where my story kind of continued to unravel is really, really starting to become very intentional with my actions um, in terms of making sure my actions were in alignment with my values and not just in alignment with like society's version of success. And so I remember once I was kind of coming into the routine of officially staying at home, not thinking about going back to my nursing job, there was a lot of guilt around, oh, well, now I have to make sure the house is clean. Like I should be cooking did like all these things around what like the stereotypical housewife looks like but that's not me and I've never been that in our relationship like I my my husband does the cooking my husband does the grocery shopping I clean but like if I could like I'm hiring house cleaners I'm a projector so I need to protect my energy I am lazy <laughs> I am I'm very unapologetically lazy I will say that and um so again very early on it was clear to me that I didn't want to fall into that stereotype I didn't want to become this martyr I 
I really wanted to continue honoring my own self because I was kind of already on this trajectory. And I feel like once you start, it becomes addicting because you start noticing, oh my goodness, this gives me life. This gives me energy. I'm actually feeling happy for the first time in my life. All the other things that society told me was going to make me happy. I wasn't actually feeling happy. So yeah, that became addicting and I wanted to keep doing more of it. And so part of that also meant trying to carve out time for my other passions outside of being a mom. And that was really hard because again, I was trying to fill this role of being the perfect mom and being the perfect, yeah, just like support for my daughter. Um, I'm still breastfeeding. So that has also been just an added layer of energy and like dependency and like what it takes out of me. Um, and so I've had to become very intentional about how I'm pouring my, my filling my cup back up because I am constantly still giving. Um, and with all of that, it's just, yeah, it's been this beautiful unraveling of getting to meet my edge and then getting to expand it. And, and with my, my, my knowledge around the nervous system and learning how to support and soothe myself. Like, I think that's really what's been the catalyst in being able to make all these shifts and, and creating space for the expansion is constantly coming back to my body and um, really honoring its needs and honoring its communication. But the money piece, I, I, first of all, I love the soul card transaction for the credit card, because that was that was a big thing for a long time. It's like, well, that's your money. Like I can't go, like I had no problem buying things for the household. I had no problem buying things for a daughter, but spending money on me was really, really hard. And I think part of what helped me work through that was um, again, because I was pursuing my own passion around birth education and I was trying to start up my own business in my mind, I was okay with spending money on my business. And I feel like you could look at that and be like, well, you're still not quite honoring yourself because that's something outside of you. But the very fact that I was willing to invest and put money there, that that ended up being a source of nourishment and energy for me because that truly was where my passions were bringing me. Um, and it was almost like a baby step. It was like, okay, this is the baby step of how I'm learning to be actually like honor my worthiness around spending money and investing on myself. Um, is being able to invest in my business. Mm -hmm. And I think what else came from that is in contrast to the life that I was living in my nursing career, I knew so clearly what I didn't want. I knew I didn't want that hustle, that burnout, that just go, go, go. I knew I wanted to create a business that was gentle, that was easeful, that really allowed me to ride the rhythms of of life and motherhood and um, honor like my menstrual cycle and my energy shifts and my hormonal shifts. So just with all of that, it brought up just a lot of opportunity for working through just all those limitations and the money piece, the money piece was huge. So I think working through not just the money mindset aspect, but the the being open to receive and being, being just what's like feeling worthy of receiving for just being that has probably been like my biggest, my biggest transformation over the past even year is 
I don't have to work hard for success. I don't have to work hard to be compensated. I don't have to, it's not time. It's not the exchange of time and money anymore. It's, it's, I can just be. And um, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on and on. I see you like nodding your head and like, you're starting to like glow. So I feel like you have things to say. (laughs) I'm going to let you, you speak because I could go on and on. This stuff starts to light me up when it starts becoming like the, the feminine led business, because I think that was another, that is another big aspect of, of my story is I initially much like my pregnancy complete parallel where I was hungry and a complete sponge to learning strategy and so much like pregnancy where I was reading all the books listening to all the podcasts in my business um, development that's how it started too I was just a sponge to other people's strategy and trying to find some framework that would work for me and I very quickly learned I'm so glad that it happened quickly for me because I know for some it never happens um, I'm so glad I quickly learned that that's not the way like the strategy the framework is in your body and it can be that simple <laughs> it can be that simple mm-hmm. yeah yeah thank you for all of that I love that there's so much masculine and feminine energy kind of conversation that's coming up because that's very much how I've learned to connect with myself and to live my life as well um and also this it doesn't have to be hard I I feel like I grew up with the narrative that in order for it to be good work it has to be hard work and that was the story that my my parents and specifically my dad held because that was what was true for him he had to work hard it couldn't, it couldn't be easy. Um, you know, my parents immigrated to Canada in whatever, but leaving your full life behind and coming to a new country, especially um, when there's not like the internet and the online world in the way that it is now, um, that's, that's hard and that's scary and starting fully new and fresh. Like, yeah, he, he did have to work really hard and that's the story that he ingrained in us. And it hasn't been until this year and specifically taking inner mastery, which is, yeah, where, where we connected, um, inner mastery with Hannah, the primal priestess. It, um, that was the first like time where, this this almost like it's become a mantra of how simple can it be how simple can it be and yeah I've had this story of like it's it's not allowed to be (laughs) because then yeah yeah because I I should be working hard I don't know there's there's so many there's so many shoulds and I love that this conversation is um encompassing more than just um pregnancy and postpartum and motherhood and I also think that what I'm learning at least um is that pregnancy and birth and postpartum and motherhood is like it's a magnifying glass for how you operate in every other area of your life um that's at least what I'm learning but um yeah it's it's applicable in in every situation in life because it is that masculine and feminine dynamic the masculine is the giver he is you know outputting energy and the feminine is receiving the energy and if you think about even like as as um 
I, I was going to say basic, but that doesn't feel right. But um, when you come to our physical biology of a penis and a yoni, like the energy of the penis is like, it's out, <laughs> it's there, it's like going somewhere. And the yoni, she softens and she opens to receive. So um, I wish people could see you right now because I feel like this is like an awesome game of charades. <laughs> For those listening, Eden is using her hands and yeah, it's it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll have to do a, a YouTube version of my podcast so people can see. Because <laughs> I am. I'm always I'm always moving and talking with I'm very uh I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just expressive. Um, but yeah, I, I love that it's it's encompassing so much more um, than than pregnancy and postpartum and motherhood. And um, it just feels like everyone can take something from this. Mm-hmm. Everyone can take something from this. And um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm curious how in because your daughter's two yeah just turned two yeah oh (laughs) um so I'm curious how looping it back to to motherhood um how it's shown up for you this like either inability to receive or or opening yourself up to receive and specifically of support because that's like yeah that's where I right now um in like leaning on community and calling in community and asking um yeah I'm curious what that experience is for you in your present now timeline I love this invitation because it is definitely showing up and I I feel like I haven't really given myself space to actually sit with it but just reflecting on everything you were sharing um something that came up for me around like how simple can it be um which is kind of a mantra I'm constantly asking myself but the resistance to that comes from a life where almost like how intricate and how fancy and how detailed can it be is where the praise was so my mind is fearful of simplicity because I'm almost still equating simplicity with basic and you use the word it's not the right word I don't know what the right word is but that really is showing up in my motherhood right now where I am constantly asking myself how easy can it be but with that the comparison still seeps in and it's like oh well I see other moms taking their kids out and doing like these really cool like forest school enrichment activities or whatever it is or they have these like really pretty like Montessori playrooms and all these like Pinterest worthy crafts that they're doing and it's like hey my kid just plays in the Tupperware drawer or like makes mud outside like Mm -hmm. so when I come back to like how simple can it be I'm constantly having to reorient myself to the simplicity in our home um so I guess that's one aspect the other thing that was coming up in my reflection is around I guess my inability to receive is still showing up in the context of time. I'm noticing I'm constantly still, I guess, meeting some resistance around my worthiness for time. And I'm still thinking that my time isn't as worthy as other people. And I'll I'll give you an example. So I have 
my my mom and my stepdad literally live five minutes away. They are my biggest support. They are often my childcare during the day. Um, a couple of months ago, my stepdad ended up getting a new job, which has taken him out of the house a lot more. He was formerly working from home with a very, very flexible schedule, and now he's out of the house most days. So I feel like that was a huge shift for me um, because, yeah, I almost lost some of my main my, my main source of childcare, and it was an opportunity for me to really start voicing my needs and getting really clear on what I needed and that is still not easy because I'm still constantly thinking oh well he's he's working like his his job whatever he needs to do right now is more important than whatever I'm trying to do and I do that with my husband too um obviously like if he's at work he's at work but like he he, he likes to go to the gym most nights on his way home from work. And again, I'm constantly kind of fitting myself out into their schedules because my time isn't as worthy. So that's something that I'm literally in the process of working through. Um, but yeah, I've noticed it still shows up where I can, I can deem myself worthy when I'm, say, on a call with you or recording my own podcast or doing something for my business. But if it's just to go be lazy in bed, read a book, have a bath, it's really hard to ask for that time. It's really, really hard. So yeah, it's still showing up. And I think, I think a lot of it, I always come back to, to like this, this village, we're told that we're supposed to have this village. We're told that we're supposed to be in community with people. And unfortunately, like our, our, our world just isn't really set up for that anymore, right? We don't le- live in multi-generational households. Um, most of my friends are like at least a 20-minute drive away. Like it's just not geographically set up to live that way anymore. And so I kind of have that like inner battle in my head all the time of like, okay, like I, I, I have this longing for this, but like it's actually not really possible anymore. So how do we reinvent that or how do we make it work for modern day society and when I figure it out I'll let you know because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's challenging and it, it really comes back to almost not having space to be in our feminine because there is still so much that has to be done because we're we're living as lone wolves and we're not supposed to be lone wolves we're supposed to be pack animals um I will say, though, that one thing that really has helped me soften and, I guess, sit with some of the discomfort that keeps popping up is orienting to the cycles. And I'm constantly using nature um, as kind of a compass of, okay, well, in spring, just as an example, like in spring, when you're like planting seeds, there's a lot of giving. You are nourishing the soil, you are watering, you are fertilizing, you are doing whatever. Um, in contrast to, to say like fall and winter where there you really are it, it is just like a, a season of receivership it's just a season of being and so I'm constantly trying to remind myself that all of this is seasonal um, and then even paying attention to my own menstrual cycle and noticing what what days in the month I actually have more energy and desire to be productive versus what days I'm being called back to my body, being called to my bed to be lazy upstairs by myself. Like I'm honoring those things and I'm orienting to these cycles to know that these seasons aren't permanent because that's when the 
mind chatter gets loud is when you start thinking, oh no, this is going to be permanent. This is going to be forever. It's never mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. And I would love to um, just reflect something back to you if you're open. Of course. Um, yeah, just using this word lazy. I think you've used it a few times now. Um, and for me, that was that was a big thing that I felt, especially with like, I'm also a projector. My energy works very, very differently. I used to like look around at the world and be like, is there something wrong with me? Like, yeah. am I, am I sick? And I would like start to yeah. create these stories that like, I have this um, unknown, like chronic illness or something because everybody operates so different than me. And like, I can't do what everyone's doing. And if I do, I, I do physically get sick, but a big part yeah. of my like when I learned that I was a projector I felt so like seen and understood and I felt like I can echo that yeah yeah Um, this word lazy like that was really prominent for me and and even that like hearing hearing you say like going and resting and filling up your own cup that's being lazy and yeah, I just, I kind of wanted to, to voice that and um, yeah, even just mirror back that that's you filling up your cup. That's you taking yeah. care of yourself, like resting and reading a book, taking a bath. Um, it's very much like society has told us, patriarchal society has told us that that is lazy when in reality, my reality, <laughs> I think that that can be be the most productive thing that you could do for yourself in those moments. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you for being open to, to me. Yeah. Reflecting that. Yeah. I love that mirror back because that is, that is something that lands true for me. And I feel like I do keep using the word lazy, but I guess I've shifted the definition in my mind already and I, I feel like I'm owning it. I'm I'm declaring myself as this unapologetic, lazy person, knowing that I'm a projector. Yeah. Also knowing that when I go allow myself to be lazy unapologetically without guilt, that yeah, that rest is actually a source of momentum. It is a source of energy. It is a source of filling my cup. So Ooh, yeah, I love that we weaved back into human design because that is a really big element in in my story of really offering myself that self-compassion. It's just been a part of that layer of understanding myself. So yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, my partner's a, a generator and it's so funny how we work so differently and there's there's many times where I'm like I'm so exhausted like pre-pregnancy as well and he's like maybe you need to go for a walk maybe you need to like do some yoga maybe you need to go dance and I'm like no (laughs) absolutely not I will burn myself out if I do that I need to lay in a dark room by myself with no sound nothing but just laying there in silence like that's the only thing that's going to recharge me and and for him (laughs) I do the same thing where I'm like he's like oh like I'm just so lethargic and blah 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 I'm like why don't you go lay down like go take a nap and he's like no I need to go move my body and I'm like what (laughs) but for him that's what like ignites his fire and generates more energy and then he's 
yeah, that's, that's what works for him. So yeah, I love human design and I've only like scratched the surface. Me too. Um, yeah. All there is to, to know. Um, but yeah, I love it. I love it so much. And I also love that you talked about, um, like connecting with nature and the cycles and the seasons. Um, cause that, that's so huge. And that's, that's, um, I'm seeing like in my sphere, in the last few years, there's like a resurgence and a remembrance of that wisdom. Um, but that's something that as a, in Western society, like we're very disconnected um, from that seasonal cyclical living, even think about the food that we're eating, um, being flown from different parts of the world, like not eating what's seasonally grown around us in celebrating the new year in the middle of winter like <laughs> what what like so disconnected um yeah so I think that you brought that back to like external nature and our own biological nature of um internal seasons as menstruating women um yeah, because I think that that's really powerful and it, it makes me excited. You know, I'm not in a rush. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still pregnant. I still have to birth this baby, but it makes me excited to, to navigate that when I do get my cycle back and, and I am living in that, um, that rhythm again, what, what is motherhood going to be like then? Um, and, and the seasons within that. <laughs> because everything is cyclical I just completed a seasons of matrescence training and so yeah like my mind is just constantly seeing everything as cyclically and that has become really a huge pillar in my life and my business development is I, I joke that I co-parent with nature and I also like co-create with nature like all of my business development creation is all rooted in cyclical um, structures for lack of a better word and like the amount of peace that you get from that because it it actually allows you to exhale and have space for rest and um, being and it's not you're not supposed to be go 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 all the time whether it's pregnancy birth motherhood like even if we look to birth and that's another thing is I I like I said I I went down the rabbit hole of pursuing birth work and someone could say, oh, well, that was a waste of time because I never actually like went out to pursue um, a career as like a doula or anything like that. But I, I really do think that gaining more knowledge in physiologic birth is really what has helped me in all aspects of my life because I'm constantly able to see the parallels of just the process of birth and again that's again rooted in nature so it all comes back to just the the coming back to nature and cyclical orientation it's all under the same umbrella so that's the stuff that lights me up I could talk forever about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love that um and I also love that you brought up the the topic of like we're told we're supposed to have this village and there's almost this from what I see this sense of like failure of like, oh, I I don't have this village. Am I doing something wrong? Is it me? When, as you mentioned, like society, we're not we're not set up like that anymore. And um, my like, I live 
six and a half, seven hour drive away from my family. Um, my older sister, she's got four kids and she lives like 10, 15 minutes from my parents. So that's her biggest source of support as well. That's, that's her village. Um, and for me, I'm not going to have that. Right. So for me, I've been, yeah, I've been, um, invited to really call in my community, the community that I've created here. And thankfully, I live in a very small town. Um, it is a little city. It's like 10,000 people, which compared to a lot of other places is very, very small. Um, but everyone lives like my my best friend, she just moved back here and she lives just down the road. She can walk to my house in five minutes. Um, and getting to the other side of town is like a seven minute drive. Like we're very, very close. Everyone's living very close together. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, but yeah, I've had to call in and I will have to call in the support of my community as opposed to the support of my family. And, and that was, yeah, that was something that like, um, came up at the beginning of my pregnancy is like, oh, like, I'm not going to have my family. And, and that's what my modeling of the village has been is seeing my sister and seeing her, um, yeah, receive the support from my parents, which even like, I've seen her struggle to ask for support from my parents. And it's more so been my mom <laughs> forcing my sister to let her support her. Um, because my mom is like, you need help. Let me help you. Um, so I'm curious of like what my own experience will end up being like um, with, yeah, asking, asking for support, even with moving. When we moved, I was like, I'm not going to be able to do much. <laughs> I'm really, truly not going to be able to do much. Um, I can put some things in boxes. And even then I'm like, Ooh, I need a break. I'm sweating my body, my back. Okay. That pregnant projector life. <laughs> yes. yes. And I'm uh... so, my partner was amazing. Um, Cause I do, I still am like pushing my body past its limit. And then I'm like in agony at the end of the day. And he's like, throughout the day, he's just like, stop, <laughs> go sit down, go lay down. And when we were, yeah, when we were moving, he was like that as well. But yeah, when we were moving, I was like, I can't do this on, on my own. Even sweeping is and vacuuming is hard for my body right now. So I put a group chat together and I just asked all of my friends, hey, do any of you have the energy, the capacity, the space in your schedule to come and help us move on this day? And it also felt really great to have it in like a group chat kind of setting as opposed to like one-to-one -one asking a bunch of people um for me at least there released this pressure my own projected pressure of like when somebody asks me something and I have to say no well have to but and I I say no I feel like oh there's this pressure to say yes when it's one-to-one -one. but when it's yeah. in like a chat setting and I see like oh I can't do it but other people are showing up okay cool they're supported um, I think the group setting also like allows people to step up and take initiative 
as opposed to being like voluntold to do something. And I'm sure like, however, you're like asking for help is not like you're voluntelling someone to do something, yeah. but as the recipient of being asked for help, it feels really good when you get to like, it's like an act of service and you get to potentially like use your own strengths. That's something that I think about often is even in my own like circles of friends, like really rely, not relying, but like using each other's strengths. So like if I have a friend that loves cooking and I'm, and we're planning like a family dinner together, it's almost barbaric to think that I'm going to do the cooking. She actually like loves and enjoys it. So like allowing her to cook because it brings her joy. Um, and same with like, yeah, like, I mean, there's so many little examples there, but it, it comes back to, we aren't, we aren't lone wolves here. We are, we are pack animals and it's okay to lean on each other's strengths, knowing that you have your own strengths and you, you will have your own season of giving back as well. This is right now the season to be nurtured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another example of, of what you were just saying is one of the friends that I asked to come help. Um, she's a cleaner and, so I was like, can you help? <laughs> like, And she came and she cleaned. So while we were moving things downstairs and I was slowly unpacking things down here because it was like such an awkward, like we're both moving out and moving in at the same time. It was not like we got to move out and then do the full clean and then be done. It was like everything had to happen at the same time. Um, but she like just cleaned the bathroom and the fridge and the kitchen and you know she cleaned everything the windows and and it was just like oh yes she she had said to me when when I told her I was pregnant um I can't cook for you (laughs) I am not good at cooking I will not cook for you but I will come and I will clean your house and I was like okay so that like planted the seed in my mind of like okay if I need to ask somebody for support with cleaning I will ask her first, you know, um, whereas, yeah, my other friend, she's like loves cooking and loves food. And so I wouldn't call her and be like, Hey, can you come clean my house? I'd be like, Hey, can you come make me a meal or whatever, even if we do it together? Um, but she loves to nourish people in that way. Um, so yeah, yeah. There was one other thing that I wanted to speak on. And I'm curious what your experience is in this. Um, From a lot of the mothers in my sphere, a lot of the narrative that I've heard is um, there's not enough, there's not enough support um, and, and nobody like offers. Um, And my perspective is, do you ask? And this is, this can be applied to more than just motherhood. Like when you're struggling in any experience um, and it's like, nobody's here to help me. Nobody's here to support me. And my question is, yeah, who have you asked? Have you asked somebody to hold space for you? Have you asked somebody to come over and support you? Like, have you asked? Um, I feel like there's maybe this underlying like expectation of like, I need help. People should be offering um, without us really acknowledging the fact that people don't know we're suffering until we tell them. People don't know we need help until we ask for it. Um, so yeah, I'm curious what what comes up for you with that. Yeah, I actually have a lot to say on this. I'll try to keep it short. I think 
it's it's nuanced and multidimensional as everything is um because on one side I come back to this analogy often when I'm having conversations like this with people where there's a big difference between asking for someone to make you a lasagna versus someone dropping off a lasagna at your doorstep Mm. right there's a very big difference there there's also a very big difference between like your husband going out of his way and like emptying the dishwasher just because he knows that it was just running and now it needs emptying versus telling him hey can you empty the dishwasher um so like I can kind of see the perspective where people might be thinking oh well people should just be helping and that's also a slippery slope because it can kind of put you into this like victimhood mindset and this, well, I need people outside of me to save me. And obviously like, we don't want to be living in that, that realm. But I think, I think what you said around people don't know you need help until you need help. So the added layer to it is I don't think you need to necessarily be asking specifically for what you need, because that is really, really hard. And often we don't know what we need. I think you just have to start getting comfortable with declaring that I need help. I'm having a hard day. I'm struggling. And then allowing your people to lean on their own strength. So if that means that they're willing to cook for you, then that's what they can do. If they're willing to come empty your dishwasher as a really bad example, then that's what they can do, right? Even in my own like family, like my my own mom and stepdad are far more comfortable, say like watching my daughter than um other members of the family versus other members of the family are probably really happy to go pick up groceries for us or something like that everyone has their own strengths so yeah I think I think the answer to that and I mean it wasn't even a question but I guess the solution to that is just really flexing the muscle of identifying and declaring um your your current situation so it's not even about knowing what you need it's just declaring that hey I am struggling like I could really use some support right now Mm, I love that I love that so much and um yeah also with that layer of like maybe not necessarily knowing exactly what you need um but still saying I don't know what I need but I need help and um something that's so hard to say though that is so hard to say to admit that you need help and to admit what feels like a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. It feels like a sign of weakness. So yeah. 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 And something my partner has been saying the last, like, I don't know, it just, it keeps coming up um, is that when, when our friends or family or loved ones or community doesn't know that we need support um, and we don't, declare that we don't share that we need support it also robs our community of the opportunity Mm, so glad you said that because that was something I wanted to touch on and I kept telling myself make sure to remember make sure to remember yeah yeah, I wanted to offer the reframe of every time we are basically denying someone to offer support we are robbing them of the joy that that you get from from serving and um, that is particularly true in like the context of childcare. I feel like it can be really easy to think, oh, well, I don't want to burden someone and ask them to watch my kid. I bet you they want to hang out with your kid. You're actually robbing them of that one-on-one time, like especially like, yeah, close friends and family, they want that one-on-one time with your kid because they love your kid. Um, they want to cook for you because they want to see you nourished and thriving. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think that's that's really important um, as well. I think that it's it's really easy um, to be seen as like a burden. And when I think of my own experience of, you know, my friend, she moved a couple of months ago and I went over to her house and I just chatted her, chatted her, <laughs> chatted with her as we, as we pack up, um, <laughs> as we packed her clothes and, um, yeah. And then I left and I was like, oh, that was really nourishing for me, <laughs> for me to be there and yeah. to support in that way and um yeah yeah so it's it's this um this word that keeps coming up for me uh recently is interdependent or interdependence um instead of this like codependence of oh I need you I need you it's like yeah I do need you and I'm allowed to need you yeah you're worthy of needing yeah we're allowed to need each other and lean on each other um and it's this yeah cyclical seasonal ebbing and flowing um of showing up for for people in different ways um and in different yeah seasons of of their lives and allowing ourselves to be in the season that we're in yeah well and if we if we truly do consider ourselves a part of nature nature is this like vast ecosystem of so many different moving parts all all thriving off of off of different different things right like we need that um oh man I'm I've lost my words some fancy like biological nature word is what I'm looking for in the context of like oh I think diverse like a diverse ecosystem right you need that to thrive um, in the forest you need you need the tall trees and you need the short trees and you need you need the moss and you need the different animals like you need it all right and and really like humans are no different yeah oh I love that <laughs> well yeah is there anything else that you mm-hmm. want to share I'm feeling so complete this conversation was so energizing and nourishing for me so thank you for this opportunity yeah, thank you for saying yes. Thank you for showing up and being here and sharing parts of your story and yeah, your experience with us. I too feel yeah, very energized by this. I'm like my body is hot. I'm a little bit sweaty. That's <laughs> whenever I'm into something, I'm just like, "Ooh, the energy is flowing and I'm sweaty." Um yeah. So, yeah, thank you again so much for yeah, for being here and being you and sharing with us. You are so welcome, Eden. Thank you. Mm.